Welcome to a new 74 podcast series, Culture in a Time of Crises. I'm Shwetal Patel, host of the series in which we explore art making and art making practices during these times of crises. Join us to hear from diverse artists and thinkers about how they've spent their lockdowns and the impact it has had on their working methods. Halton Melweg is a Danish artist group initiated in 1999. They live and work in Copenhagen. Welcome to Istanbul 74 podcast, Libeke and Sophie. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for inviting. Thank you for joining us. You're currently in Copenhagen. Yes. Yeah, we are actually currently um, in a residency in Copenhagen, so to say, at the Danish um, art workshops. That is um, uh, workshops or studios owned by the Danish state. So that, um, that's a very nice thing. You can apply and you can get a residency here. So we are here for three months until New Year's Eve, something like that. Mm. Uh, enjoying a very huge uh, studio um, so that's where we are yeah in the preparing the next uh, upcoming exhibitions uh, in Malmö and uh, Finland and also we prepared an exhibition that is up now in Copenhagen at the moment so you've had a very productive 2020 so far it's been a very strange years year as I think it has for everybody um, but it's also been um, a very good year for us, I think. We have, um, we have been in a process uh, during the lockdown and, and until now where we have done a lot of reflections on our daily life in the studio, how to organize us, how to um, expand out of the crisis, uh, I think we call it. Um, we have moved into a bigger studio here in Copenhagen just before we actually went here to the to the residency. But before that, we moved into a nice new studio. We expanded our team a bit. So a lot of new things happening, which has been very productive, very um, a feeling of looking into the future in a good way. Yeah. Mm. The group was initiated in 1999 and, and last year you celebrated 20 years of working together. What's been your recipe for a successful duo of this nature? I think uh, 20 years is a long time. Um, we met in the Art Academy here in Denmark after three months and ever after we have been doing everything together um, uh, as our, in our art practice. But, uh, the recipe is, uh, I guess, it's that we are still just talking and talking and interested in, in the same subjects. Um, we have the same passion for our production, our art production. I can add that it's also very much about trust. Uh, in the beginning, we had to learn to trust each other. Um, that's many years ago now, but you know, the, the feeling that you have to know that the other person cares as much for the work as you do yourself. And that's very important that you trust that the other person always will do what's best for the collaboration. Um, that took us, us some years to get to that point, but now um, it's just a natural feeling. Um, it's also love and, and, you know, understanding of each other. But, you know, also feeling that, um, the more we, we have been together, we have grown together in a way. Our brains are very much um, aligned uh, in a good way. So I think we add up to something better together than we are separately. Um, and that's a very strong feeling in, in both of us that we have come further together than we would have done alone as artists. That's interesting. It sounds like a relationship built on trust, which is something that you would normally have with a brother or a sister or some other family member. But it also sounds like a really engaging friendship where you're able to talk to each other all the time. 
but at the same time you have this professional relationship and you're both mothers and you have families uh, of your own. How do you combine all of these elements uh, to working successfully together? I think um, our life is uh, very similar. Uh, we have three kids eat. We, we like have the same rhythm of the day. We go up uh, taking the, the kids to school and kindergartens. Uh, and we also have to pick them up in the afternoon as well. So it's a kind of the same life we do. Uh, I think that uh, is really practical, but it has to be like that in to work like this for so many years. I guess it must be like you have to, or at least we have to grow together in that way that we, we know we use the same amount of time and put the same amount of um, energy in, in, in the production but it's again about understanding that if you have to go with the kid to the doctor that's how it is um, so i think it's much easier that our lives are so similar because had one of us been alone without a family i think we would have had quite a trouble actually because now uh, we know that time is always limited we are always uh, uh, in a hurry in a way and that's also what makes lives quite uh, difficult. It's a feeling of juggling uh, between uh, motherhood and something for yourself and something uh, for the collaboration and being a wife to your husband and so on. So it's, I think it's a, it's a very beautiful but also very complicated life we have uh, created for ourselves. But again, it helps being two in the collaboration because we can also help each other with the children especially when we are traveling which we normally do not so much in 2020 <laughs> but um, then our husbands um, they support each other they collect uh, each other's kids they can make it work um, when we are not uh, present in the family um, so it's it's a kind of uh, like a double up big family we're having together in in a way i think yeah it's very interesting thank you so it sounds like, although some of your projects have been postponed this year, you've still been very active in the studio and you found ways of working in particular, some of your very new projects that have been initiated through the crisis. Can you tell us a bit more about those? It uh, springtime in 2020 was really confusing because the emails you, you had from the world, like was uh, that the projects were postponed or canceled. And then uh, after some weeks or a little month or something that uh, then I think the institution and other artists, they were like trying to react on this new situation. So we were invited for some projects here in Copenhagen. And that was really nice also to, to, uh, to see your own city as a possibility to do uh, new projects. Um, I think we have been very much uh, interested in, in, in going abroad for many years. So now to see uh, Copenhagen as a place to, uh, to investigate your projects in, it was, that was kind of, kind of nice. Um, so um, the first invitation I think we had um, was uh, from Copenhagen Contemporary. Uh, they were locked down, uh, the door was closed, so they didn't know when they could open up again the art hall and um, we were invited to do a project outside uh, in the very special surroundings they had. Um, and that was kind of nice to see how many possibilities there actually were outside the institution to do projects. So they did a huge group exhibition with people from all over the world. Uh, of course, the artists were not presented, it was only us Danes there were at the at the opening or the not opening but at the day we <laughs> <laughs> the, the starting point of the exhibition uh, but um, it, it was nice to have all these uh, uh, international um, projects being presented in Copenhagen so not feeling this isolated world uh, situation um, uh, or that much yeah yeah so the, so that was kind of nice to to see the world in copenhagen uh, through the art and not the artist uh, you can say yeah so we actually did a, a durational performance for about uh, five hours 
where we, um, outside of uh, Copenhagen Contemporary, where we um, carried 500 uh, used uh, car tiles up on a slope, um, building the word um, less powerless, or the sentence, um, and it was in a, you know, the letters were seven meter high and the stretch on the slope was, I think, 60 or 70 meter long. So it was really gigantic. Um, and it was a, a warm summer day. Um, and a lot of people were actually able to come and cheer and uh, um, support us because it, it was a really hard work. Um, so that was a feeling that art is actually possible, even though we have to keep a distance and even though the museums might be closed and so on, then we, we could still do something meaningful and for us a very important uh, artwork, art piece. Um, then we were at the same time invited to um, something called Up Close Performance Festival, uh, which was arranged very, very quickly during the lockdown. Uh, it was initiated by the New Carlsberg Foundation, a big foundation here in Denmark. And you know, we had like five weeks to develop a new performance for the festival. Um, and when we initially were invited, there was a, a possibility of maybe 18 in the audience in that room, um, we were told. Um, so it was supposed to be very uh, exclusive uh, experience. But then, um, uh, as time went by these weeks, um, it was, uh, it turned out to be allowed uh, 58 in the audience. So that meant that we had to do the performance three times in a day. Um, so it was also, you know, exploring, you know, no, exploring um, uh, how can we make performance during uh, the COVID-19 crisis. And that was, you know, a very interesting experience for us because we have never done a performance three times in a row. Uh, this time we were not performing ourselves, but we had uh, four actors. And I know they were challenged, but uh, it turned out to be a very beautiful event with um, 12 different performances in two weekends, three weekends, I think, yeah. So possibilities uh, are there if you can find them and see them and do them. I guess we learned that. That's very interesting. It brings me to my next question, which is that, you know, crises often bring about unexpected opportunities or silver linings. Um, has there been any uh, for you and for Dan Denmark, really? I mean, your work addresses politics, society and histories. Uh, what is the current situation in Denmark, both within the art world, but also within the wider society? For us, I think it's um, when we start up a project or like we are very inspired by, of course, the Danish context in all its uh, various uh, uh, issues or how it's going in society and, and politics. But um, but it's for us, it's always the Danish uh, context is a starting point, but, uh, but the discussion is more about uh, how is it uh, also abroad and in an international context. Yeah, how is the political situation in Denmark? I think uh, I have an idea that in this 2020, it looks like the rest of Europe, at least. Um, we are all connected in this COVID situation. So. Yeah, what would you say, Sophie? Yeah, I, I think actually it's a little bit of a difficult question because I don't think uh, that things have changed that much in Danish politics. Um, we have had this uh, mink situation you might have heard about with the yes. mutation uh, of, the <laughs> of the virus. And I think that has been a big issue here because our government was extremely popular after the lockdown and the handling of the crisis because it went quite well here in Denmark compared to other places. Um, then the mink situation came and um, I think that has been uh, a problem to the government. So right now we experience a more of a divided government. Um, and I read recently, and we can see that in the search of the COVID numbers, because if you have a divided government, then people don't really listen to 
what they say and and i think that's that has been the situation recently but right now things are more under control a little bit in a limbo just like everybody else waiting for what to happen what will happen with the vaccine how can we i mean come through this winter without too many human lives lost i i think um Vibeka and I, or at least um, me, am very, very interested in American politics. Actually, more than in the Danish politics. Uh, I think it's um, very extreme over there. Everything is um, magnified in a way um, that's quite interesting from our point of view, because Denmark is such a small country. We are politically following the US in many ways. Um, so seeing what's going on in America is kind of echoed back to Europe and Denmark. If you want to see what's really going on, you should look that way. That's, that's how I feel because then things are, you know, thinned out coming to Europe and the rest of the world maybe also, um, in a way that's quite interesting for us to see. So. For instance, our latest exhibition is a lot of American um, quotes. Um, that's also quite interesting in a Danish context. In my previous interview with you in 2018 for your book, we talked about the divisions within Denmark and the political uh, spectrum, the traditional left and the new far right. Has that situation um, exacerbated itself during the COVID crisis, or do you think that people are coming together? Ooh, it's difficult, but um, there has been a coming together, I think, primarily in the springtime. When, as Sophie said, that the, the politicians, they worked together in the springtime to find out a solution for this situation. But now it has turned out to, you know, we go back to the, the kind of normal that we uh, also have this uh, very divided uh, society uh, and extremely discussion in, in politics uh, about, uh, about people coming from outside and so on. But I think it, it has been, you know, I think it's been quite overwhelming with the whole Corona situation. So all the other discussions have been put a bit aside, at least in Denmark. So you know, what was on the agenda before, like the climate crisis, the migration uh, issues and so on, has been not uh, in the front of the media covering. Um, so it, it seems like a lot of these issues are um, hidden a bit. And I'm curious what happens when we don't have to focus on just uh, being in the situation so uh, what will happen after that but at least we have a big discussion about um, the, the the ghetto um, um, there's something we call the the ghetto policies or the ghetto law. people living in the so-called ghetto areas they're having other for crimes I, I guess it's like the double of punishment on certain crimes and uh, you know they have to close down tear down some buildings and so on it's it's a quite elaborate thing and that has been debated very much uh, this week because um, there came a new list of who is on this uh, ghetto list they call it so we are still doing all this um, quite racist uh, policies in Denmark and it's still continuing. It has just been a little more um, in the shadow of the corona situation. But I wouldn't say that we have come together in a kind of a very um, harmonious way during the crisis. It's not like a really different feeling in Denmark. I wouldn't say that. Um, but of course, it's, um, it's come, become clear to everybody that we have to collaborate and stay together and follow the restrictions if we have to come through this in a good way. So at least I think that's a kind of positive experience that we can hopefully use for something in our society.
But for me, it's really tough that uh, you see, um, you actually see uh, people living in the outskirts of Copenhagen or people living many in the same um, apartment or so on. They are there. The numbers are getting really yeah. explosively, explosively high uh, compared to other places uh, in uh, in Denmark. So you actually see this. People are not equal. You can say that there, there is a different and. Uh, that is a really tough thing to to see in the in the numbers. It's really uh, so upfront to see these uh, numbers. Yeah, the structures in society gets very um, exposed in this situation because in the outskirts of Copenhagen, the main person living there is a kind of a worker person who might be uh, driving buses or um, having a lot of uh, you know contact with. Uh, citizens uh, that kinds of job so that's and they might live in in smaller apartments and etc so and I, I guess that's the same everywhere in the world that these areas um, these segments of society um, are much more exposed to the virus and therefore um, they suffer the more whereas in the center of Copenhagen a lot of uh, academics are living and they homework and and so on so they can get much lesser exposure absolutely the evidence in other countries has pointed to yeah. some of the same facts i want to change subject a little bit um, and talk about you know the kinds of books and films or um, sort of music that might have inspired you or helped entertain and occupy the children in the family is there any experiences this year that, that stand out for you yeah, I was uh, a lot in my Swedish summer house out in the forest <laughs> uh, with my family and uh, I actually uh, get into reading a lot of Tove Ditlovsen, which is a Danish uh, novelist. Uh, she wrote really good books back in the 60s and 70s um, about her daily life, her love, her marriage, her about women's places in society to be to be a writer and have kids as well. So for me, that was really um, a, a really beautiful actually experience because I was placed in this uh, forest in a house together with my family and I couldn't get out of this and I had to stay at home and I couldn't go to work. I couldn't meet Sophie. So for me, that was a kind of beautiful uh, beautiful reading to to experience um, her life uh, back in the 60s and 70s where women had another place in society. I think I haven't felt the calm inside to really read a lot. Um, I, to be honest, I have seen a lot of uh, Netflix and HBO series and movies and so on. I was quite fascinated with the Lovecraft country. Uh, the series, HBO series, I think it is, um, because I'm really, really interested in the United States, as I said before, and um, and this is really um, talking about the issues of racism, of skin color, um, and then combined with this uh, splatter horror movie thing, I, f I found it really um, interesting. But what I have spent my whole uh, 2020 doing is um, uh, obsessively reading the news, especially uh, following the uh, American election, the, um, what's going on uh, with Trump and stuff like that. And um, that's um, for me, it's a very nice way of spending time in my family because uh, um, that feeling of being home, um, what are we going to eat, uh, who's, uh, <laughs> what should I pack in the school bags and so on. It's really nice to oppose that with some um, real uh, sleazy political subjects. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's what I have been most um, interested in actually. I wanted to ask you about your plans for next year, uh, in particular the international projects that you're going to be doing in India? Yes, we're going uh, hopefully twice to India. Um, we start here in January, um, right after New Year's, uh, where we are in an exhibition in Mumbai Art Room, 
um, in a group show. And um, looking so much forward to that. We can't go there ourselves, but the work is already there. Um, we're going to show a quite big piece, uh, textile work called Please Rest in Peace, for we shall not repeat the error. And uh, it's, a, it's a, an artwork uh, where we um, put textiles, old textiles from all over the world together. Uh, and uh, we also add the, the title that I just said, Please Rest in Peace, uh, that's embroidered in the, in, in the textile. Uh, or on the textile. Um, yeah, we actually ask a lot of uh, good friends and people we know from all over to send a white piece of uh, that they had some kind of uh, history connected to or experience with, or they were actually free to send, uh, send what they want. And uh, we had a lot of uh, white textile. Um, there was one, a Serbian friend we have, she sent an old bed linen uh, where they were uh, embroidered in, um, uh, in the textile hope in Serbia, um, Serbian. Um, so a lot of, uh, and there was a lot of uh, history behind that. And people also sent us uh, a note or a little letter for, for the pieces they sent us uh, to let us know the textile was from or what it meant to them. Yeah, so it's a kind of monumental work. Uh, it's I think it's um, four meter long, 220 high. And all these different textiles are uh, stitched together. It's both um, clothes and bed linen, um, handkerchiefs, all kind of uh, material. Um, there's a um, t-shirt from Greenland with um, Tintin on it and his, in his, um, his astronaut suit and his little dog. There's um, a, a burial um, um, carpet or rock or whatever you call it from, from uh, Madagascar um, to wrap the dead people uh, in this very special silk uh, material. Um, there's a small little baby uh, t-shirt. So it comes all around what life is about, you can say. The letters that we got from people will be available online in a viewing room that's um, going to be uh, um, programmed. Um, so people can sit and, and click and read all these um, um, sentences, messages, uh, letters. It's quite moving, I think, because on one hand, you have this very tactile um, feeling of the fabrics. Um, and then it kind of opens up to all these private, intimate stories from people around the world. Um, for us, it's a kind of monument. Um, it's a monument of uh, personal stories and how we are all uh, connected in a way um, with one another. Um, we are all having these uh, precious things from our families and, and objects in, in daily life that has a special meaning for us. Um, we all have a, a lived life and a history. So it's in a way, it's quite beautiful that they are stitched together in one big story in this um, in this work. Thank yeah, you. and um, to, to say a little just about the, the title or what we have embroidered in the piece is, um, is uh, from the Hiroshima uh, monument uh, after the atomic bomb. Um, and it's a sentence that we have uh, worked a lot with uh, in other pieces. Um, it actually reads out ancestors um, and to try to say that we will not repeat the errors that have been done but um, and going in talking into the future in a way yeah so so it's a work that in a sense connects both the past the present and the future it reaches out to our ancestors and reassuring them that we won't do um, bad things in the future 
and yeah, and that's something that means quite a lot to us to try all the time to remember history, to not do all the errors of the past again and again. Um, we we want to dream about a world where where you had found out a long time ago that war didn't work. Um, so we don't have to do that again. That's not really how the world is, but it's um, it's a little play on that, I think. Um, yeah. Mm. I actually had, I, uh, we showed a piece in Mexico, uh, Mexico City, some years ago, and where we also used this sentence. And I was talking with a man at the opening, and he was just, oh, I know that sentence. Is that the one from Hiroshima? And um, the monument of Hiroshima, and uh, that was just so nice for me to stand there and like, oh yeah, we are connected in a way that we try to 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 talk about in a symbolic way. In that show, we are also doing um, a newspaper. Um, the curator Falguni Giuliani uh, has made an interview, um, and that's been transformed into a newspaper, a, an artwork in itself, you could say. Um, there are some illustrations uh, or artworks um, that we have been showing in a Danish newspaper as well. But here they are, you know, like illustrations to the, the, the interview. So that's another piece that's going to be in this, um, in this show as well that this kind of democratic uh, artwork where you can you can get a sample of the newspaper, you can take out the artwork and and hang on your wall. So that's also going to be in the the Mumbai show. Yeah, I'm always very fascinated by the titles of your work. Uh, you just mentioned, please rest in peace, for we shall not repeat the error. But it also reminds me of the title of your book, for a radically better tomorrow and works like Hope Not Fear and Points of Unity that you did in Kiev. How important are these? The titles really seem very evocative uh, and, and, and sort of really suggest about this idea for a better tomorrow. Yeah, I, the titles have always been extremely important to us. We are always looking for new titles. We are sampling them from all the, the things we read from newspapers, from movies, from books, always hunting uh, good uh, sentences. We have a lot of um, long lists of uh, words and, and titles that we keep revisiting. Whenever we are going to make a new work, we go back and see and ch change it a little bit, accommodate it to this specific uh, work. So it's extremely important for us, like the key to the work, you can say that that opens up or is the first kind of entrance for the viewer to, to understand the work. So very often we will have a long kind of um, explanation about the title if you, if you ask us about that, yeah. I want to talk about a project that you were supposed to do this year to commemorate uh, 400 years of Danish presence uh, in, a, in a fort on the Coromandel coast in Tamil Nadu in India. Um, the project has had to be delayed to next year, and I believe it will be taking place in September 2021. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you approached this project? In a sense, your work has often dealt with Denmark's colonial history uh, in a very honest um, and critical manner. And you've been commissioned now to make artworks to commemorate uh, the Danish presence in uh, in India. How did you approach uh, such a commission? Yeah, that's a project we are looking very much forward to um, realize because uh, here in 2020, it was supposed to be carried out in November. That is um, the 400 years of the first uh, Danish um, encounters with India or the first formal bonds being tied between Denmark and, and India in 1620. It's unfortunately due to the coronavirus, it's um, postponed till September. So um, hopefully, and we very much uh, believe it's gonna happen in September, 
Then we are uh, going to um, Taran Gambadi um, to, to do the project. But the background is um, that the Danish king, the Christian IV, was um, um, renting a piece of land uh, at the coast in South India. Um, uh, it was a kind of agreement with the local uh, ruler. That was the beginning of the Danish um, colonial history in India. Um, it's been three places in India that's been under the Danish rule back in the in 400 years ago. Um, it was not the most bloody part of Danish colonial history, but still it's, um, it's a part of our history that's complicated. And it's extremely complicated to do art about that. It's a challenging background for us, but also an extremely interesting background. In November 2019, we went to uh, India uh, for research because when we are commissioned to do things in other countries, it's always very important for us to go there to experience the, the, the country ourselves, meet people, talk uh, to people and, and get a kind of real connection with the place, a feeling about what is this site? How is it to be here? And being in Trankebar, as we called it in, in Danish, was a very special experience. Um, you meet um, a big Danish fort at the coast. You meet uh, Danish names uh, at the graveyards and the street names. Even though it was um, sold, I guess, or what's it, transferred to the British um, in 1845, there's still a lot of traces from the Danish um, inhabitants. Yeah, so that's a bit of a of a, a background. Uh, maybe Vipika, you can tell a little more about what we're actually going to do in September 21. Yeah, hopefully uh, it's all going to be uh, in September. Uh, and um, it was actually the Danish uh, Cultural Institute in uh, New Delhi, India, that uh, asked us to do this project. Um, and, uh, and they also had like two old water towers in mind when they asked us. And we were like, what are you talking about water towers with us? Uh, but yeah, of course we go there. Um, and when we came, it made sense because um, actually next to the, the, the castle or the... Um, fortress. The fortress, yeah, thank you, Sophie. Um, it looks like a castle on my sketch, um, <laughs> but uh, the fortress is the next to the there's a there's a big um, square, and then at the side of the square, these two old water towers is um, is placed, and you actually have this very beautiful square and um, and the sea and all got together in, at night when people uh, have a free time to go and have an ice cream and and have a good time there. So um, yeah, it makes sense to do as something on these old, uh, not that beautiful water towers. So um, what we want to do with the water towers is uh, um, to paint them in, um, in a palette of colors that uh, we have been, that we saw in Trankebar, very, uh, um, pastel, uh, pastel, yeah. uh, light pink, light yellow, light blue colors, uh, uh, one at the fortress, but also at the, um, at the, at the what is it called? Temple, temple side, side temple. and all the old buildings, uh, also from the, from the Danish past uh, around the square. Um, and uh, we were standing there at the, at the beach and we were like, okay, what do we have in common? Uh, and also with the past and uh, also thinking in, 
into the future and that was uh, this to stand in the beach under the same moon uh, uh, and surrounded by the same sea as we read in an old map at the local um, museum. So it actually ended up with uh, painting these two water towers, the biggest one in a palette of uh, like an um, sunrise. Uh, so it goes from yellow to orange, uh, red, blue, um, very romantic in a way. Uh, and then uh, this sentence uh, written on it in Tamil, under the same moon. Uh, and the, the smaller water tower should be like uh, in blue green watercolor and that should uh, be the text um, surrounded by the same scene written on it. So it's a kind of romantic um, project that's very much talking about all the things we have in common. Um, we think the world is dominated very much by division at the moment. Um, uh, so we, we just felt it was really important to talk about something else, to talk about connection, about um, being a part of the same world, the same sea, the same moon and sun. So, so it's, it's in a way another approach to the whole post-colonial issue. A lot of art uh, we think is... Um, has been very important talking about um, the conflict and the consequences, um, the negative history. We wanted to approach it, the whole thing differently by, by, by talking about uh, connections. We are also doing um, another thing um, because um, when we come to uh, Tarangambari, we will have a big event. Um, it's not, not just us coming, there will also be cricket, uh, a concert, um, parades, and it's gonna be kind of a big celebration thing. We are only part of a, a bigger uh, event. We want to do also a collaboration with a, a group of local women. Um, when we were in Tarangambari, we met with this uh, group of women who told us about the local uh, kolam tra tradition. Kolam is um, um, a tradition where the women go out in front of their house every morning at sunrise. They pour um, rice flour or um, powder uh, on the ground in intricate patterns. It's so beautiful. Um, every day, um, these patterns are, are um, destroyed by people walking, and then they build up against the next day. Um, this uh, ritual is thought to bring prosper and happiness to, to the people of the house. So we want to expand this ritual to to the whole city to um, encompass the whole city to bring um, happiness to everyone. Um, so basically, we invite everybody to participate in a huge column on this um, old colonial parade ground that's um, nearby both the fortress and the and the water towers. So we are going to make a huge column uh, on this saint um, together with everybody who wants to join in. Um, and it's kind of, uh, I think it's going to be uh, very um, open. Um, we are going to write these two sentences from the water towers and um, people can just um, write or make patterns um, as they wish. Um, the, the most important for us is that it's a collaboration, that everyone is welcome and that we are doing this together. When we were in um, Tanangabadi, uh, met these women, um, they were doing um, kolam to show us their tradition. So we had a whole day together and we couldn't speak together because they were only speaking Tamil. 
we could only uh, interact with each other by um, smiling and um, laughing and showing each other things. Um, and that was such a beautiful experience that we want to we wanna do that again in, in a much bigger scale. We're looking very much forward to that. So much, very, yeah, very much forward. And uh, it was so nice that day because we, we asked for a group of women. Um, they met with us and that was uh, such a beautiful thing because the, the oldest one were like 70. 72 or something. And uh, the young girl were maybe 15. But then they came these young guys and they had another tradition. They just did it and in another more fancy way. They were like connected to the to uh, to uh, symbols that they found in internet and um, and and they did this uh, fantastic uh, column as well. But it was such another tradition that the, the older one. So I hope that we can do a totally colorful, wonderful um, big column together um, on this uh, huge square. The last piece, because we have uh, three piece, three parts of this big project. Um, the last thing is a new flag for the Danish fort. That's what it's called, the Danish fort or fort dance bow. Um, so we are gonna. They, they have, you know, a flagpole on top of the fortress. When you see the old. Um, drawings from back in the, the history, then you see the Danish Dannebro uh, hoisted in, in this flagpole. So we want to do a, a new flag. Um, so it's going to be this sunrise flag um, that corresponds with the, the whole um, project with the, the one of the water towers and the same colors that we see also in the, um, in the column. Um, and a little little extra thing that I like very much is that Tarankambari means, and I know I'm pronouncing it uh, in the wrong way, but in English it would mean the land of the singing waves. It's a very nice um, name for the for the city or for the town. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. It brings me to my final question, really, which is. I suppose touches on your interest in politics in America and its impact uh, on global politics and global culture. What, what do you imagine for the future of the world uh, in the next 10 years and by extension, of course, uh, the art world? And is culture, in fact, part of the crises that we see around us? Hopefully a lot of good works are being made. I think this uh, might be a little uh, pause in the world, uh, this corona situation. So to go back, hopefully soon, to have this, uh, the, to take up all the other big questions in, uh, in our environment, uh, the climate change and how we uh, connect with each other or how we not trying to live in a world that is uh, divided. Um, I hopefully this will this was a break and then we can go back to do bigger and better uh, dreams come true. I think um, this whole situation has been so extreme in 2020. Um, I really hope for the world that we can learn something from this crisis. Um, in the beginning, in the spring, I. I felt there was a real potential for, for change hidden in this crisis that we as world community really could learn and could uh, evolve uh, from this in a much better way. But during the summer and how things are at the moment, I've become quite <laughs> more pessimistic because it's become very evident that collaboration on all levels from you know private levels to global levels are so essential but still we are having uh, all these um, institutions that we build up in the world after world war ii like um, un uh, world health organization and etc it has been under a very fierce attack uh, this year and i think that's just the opposite of what we need um, so um, I don't know how it will end up, 
but um, my hope is that we could um, come together <laughs> on a much um, deeper level and work together globally to find solutions for all the other crises that we also face, especially the climate crisis. But I really have my doubts um, because what I see is that people in a way sort of just are longing back to the life they used to live. People are really waiting how to fly again and, and that's really understandable. But maybe we need to do something completely different. Um, and that is just very tough to figure out. And there is a kind of momentum at the moment. So hopefully we will fulfill that with something good, but yeah, we'll see. Um, Thank you. I think uh, the culture part, as you also asked, it's, um, it has been very exciting to realize that uh, this is a huge need for all of us, that we can go to concerts, be together with uh, a group of people, uh, joining uh, big events, go to exhibitions, uh, cinemas, and etc. So I think it's um, we actually learn that it's such a big thing for all of us and as we talked before, Sophie and I, it was like there, there has not been that much focus from the politicians uh, in into the cultural section. But in I think in Denmark, at least, uh, I think it's uh, hopefully this will change um, something in our mindset that uh, we need this, and it's really that people feel a loneliness without and going out uh, being a part of a big uh, festival or something so it, hopefully we learn and also that we learn in a higher level that we need more uh, you can see money you need more um, support for, for culture uh, cultural life yeah yeah the status of culture and the is quite important now as we can say and also because it is i think the role of art and culture is so much more important right now because that's through art that we understand the world and digest what's going on and i i can see in the art world that it seems very vibrant and people are kind of getting a really good new energy during the crisis i think a lot of interesting things have happened in the art world the culture sector really helps us to understand and to find solution and uh, for change so hopefully the the cultural sector will will um, fill out this momentum so we end on a note of measured optimism and yeah, uh, not yeah. Just I think yeah so sophie has a halt and vibeke melbeck thank you very much thank, thank you, you thank you Smithel. thank you Smithel.